0: Welcome to everyone to our call today. Welcome back and welcome to those joining us uh, for the first time. My name is Tanisara and I am the host for our conversation, Mindfulness, Dharma and Climate Action. I'd also like to warmly welcome our teachers. Firstly, Bonnie Dharan who's a Dharma teacher at Seattle Insight Meditation Society and helped to establish the people of color and ally sanghas in Seattle and Albuquerque. Bonnie is involved in Native American spiritual practices, is an associate professor in the Schools of Social Work and Public Health in UW and a director of the Center for Indigenous Health Research. So a big, uh, very heartfelt warm welcome to Bonnie. And also to Chaz DiCaprio, who is resident teacher at Insight Meditation Society, Barrie, Massachusetts. Chaz trained in meditation, primarily the Theravada school with Burmese masters and senior Vipassana teachers and monastics from the Thai forest tradition. Chaz is interested in how the basic material of our everyday lives, including relationships, can be used as a vehicle for awakening. So a very big warm welcome to Vinnie Ferreira. Vinny has studied with several renowned spiritual teachers, including Ajahn Sumedho and the Dalai Lama, as well as spending a year at San Francisco's Zen Center Hospice Program sitting with the dying. Vinny has taught meditation to incarcerated youth and adults and is currently head trainer of the Mind-Body Awareness Project. He also teaches at the Urban Dharma Center in San Francisco. So, very, very warm and heartfelt welcome. I'm so glad that our teachers can join us today for our conversation. and also welcome back our team, Kristen Barker from One Earth Sangha, Yong Oh from Chattanooga Insight, and Barry Bettman from Maestro Conference. So before we begin, I'd like to encourage uh, the offering of Dana, making a contribution to help support the costs of running this program and to help further the work of One Earth Sangha. If you'd like to do that, then please do go to One Earth Sangha website and to support our work. And from there, you can make a contribution, which we so deeply appreciate. So before we begin, uh, I'd like to uh, welcome each of you as well. And thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, let's just take a, a breath together and to really feel ourselves in our bodies as we breathe deeply. Arriving into our presence, into our hearts and into our our seats here, feeling the sensation of sitting, connecting with that sensation, with the ground, with the earth elements, and with the feeling of the breath in the body. This week, Lou, the co-founder of One Earth Sangha and the science advisor for our conversation, who you've heard during the last presentation is on the treat. So I'd like to take his slot to address a question asked by several of you regards advocating a plant-based diet. There are several dimensions to this question. Firstly, land use for animal agriculture is one of the leading causes of greenhouse gases heating our planet. Livestock production occupies about 30% of the land surface of the earth and accounts for 18% of CO2, 37% of methane gases, which are 20 times more potent than CO2, and 65% of nitrous oxide, which is 300 times more potent than CO2. So altogether, 7 billion humans raise 70 billion farm animals It can easily be said that the single largest contributor to environmental ills is caused by modern factory farming and animal agricultural processes, which lead to deforestation. For example, an acre of rainforest is decimated every second. It leads to water scarcity. For example, it takes 600 gallons of water to produce one hamburger. It leads to destabilization of communities that are cleared off the land to make way for agricultural farming practices, uh, which leads to hunger also due to the grains going to animal feed rather than directly to humans. It leads to the decimation of wildlife, oceans, and the loss of species, and the diversity of plants and insects. It is also the leading cause of water pollution. For example, in California alone, Seventy million animals produce as much untreated manure as four hundred and fifty six million people. Also, on a humane and compassionate level, and in accordance with our first precept to refrain from taking life. It is an act of ethics and compassion to be aware of the horrific practices now involved in the production of meat and animal based products. Truly, If there is a hell on earth, then it is factory farming and the shipment of animals destined for the slaughterhouse, where huge suffering and trauma is released and processed ultimately into our bodies and atmosphere, increasing violence and disease. As we awaken, we become acutely aware of our interconnection with all beings, which means we become more sensitive to the suffering and rights of others, which includes the animal kingdom and our need, therefore, to act accordingly. It is in this regard that it is important that we consider reducing our reliance on animal-based products. Today, I am so really deeply grateful to have our wonderful teachers who are with us today, focusing on this theme of connection and interconnection. And so it's with a great pleasure that I welcome Bonnie uh, to speak with us first. Uh, Bonnie, uh, welcome to you, and thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Tanisara, and uh, everyone who's on the call. Thank you so much for this invitation to uh, speak about this today. So as a um, person who works in Indian country, and uh, which by that I mean in indigenous communities, and as a Buddhist, I think both of these perspectives can... Um, understand the, um, you know, the, the truth of climate change as a natural outcome of colonization. Uh, and I want to explore that a little bit on this call right now. Um, one way to think about uh, the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion that the Buddha and other of our teachers talk so eloquently about is as a process of colonization. They colonize our hearts and mind, and they manifest as uh, you know. Greed manifests as this just unending craving that we have for anything that will be permanent and provide us some sense of contentment and well-being. Uh, greed, hatred, and delusion manifest as uh, conceit. Where we, you know, have thoughts that were better than, or worse than, or the same as, and the sense of self forever has us creating ourselves you know, a, a uh, identity for ourselves. And delusion, you know, which I, in my understanding, is the root of all of these, is us, you know, not understanding our interconnectedness and us um, experiencing ourselves as a separate human being. And in my uh, life, I have taken the Eightfold Path and mindfulness as the medicine for these afflictions. Uh, One of my colleagues in the Indian country who teaches mindfulness, uh, Dr. Michael Yellowbird, calls mindfulness neurodecolonization. Uh, and I know next week we'll be uh, on this call. We'll we'll have the benefit of listening to Dr. David Loy. He has a wonderful conceptualization of the three wo- root poisons uh, on a grander scale, that the three root poisons colonize our uh, economic system, our political and governance system, and our knowledge development system. And uh, it's a... Um, dualistic uh, error to think that we don't need to work on decolonizing these levels as well. Uh, one way that delusion is manifest in a larger context is uh, not understanding that there are more than one ways, uh, one way of knowing things. In Indian country, you know, we really do believe that uh, going back or including indigenous ecological knowledge is one way to think about... Um, one way to think about uh, you know, a, a very important and cogent and wisdom informed approach to climate justice. And uh, some ecological knowledge is very similar to Western linear conceptual science, but it's also very deeply rooted in what we understand to be intuitive awareness. You know, we all have two knowledge systems. We have a knowledge system of intuitive awareness that I believe, or the way I talk about it, mindfulness is the data gath- gathering system for our knowledge, uh, our knowledge system of intuitive awareness, seeing things very directly beyond concepts. And then of course we all have our Western linear conceptual science, uh, conceptual way of looking at things, which is not inherently bad. It's just inherently, you know, limited. Um, greed is manifest in our larger, our larger social context in our economic system that promotes unchecked accumulation as an uh, anecdote to our suffering and you know i 'm sure none of us have ever acquired anything that you know, uh, that gave us a sense of contentment beyond never wanting anything again. And then in the the larger social context, hatred is manifest in our uh, polarized political system. People just can't seem to get things done, at least in the United States right now. And uh, hatred is manifest in our war industrial complex as it applies to, you know, other countries and other people. But uh, in my view, the Buddha Dharma is the medicine for this suffering. Mindfulness is a form of neurodecolonization. We know that when we practice, you know, we're uprooting um, the, our intentions for uh, greedy intentions, our, uh, you know, aversive intentions, and our deluded intentions, and trying to replace them with the truth of how things are. Um, it really uproots our vipalasas. I love this teaching of the Buddha, our distortions of perception. Uh, which are, you know, as we understand ourselves as individual selves. Our distortions of thought that come from that where we try to accumulate as much as we can in order to situate ourselves or to bring some uh, level of satisfaction. And then a vipalasa or a distortion of view that, uh, you know, a deeply held belief that we have that we can exploit and consume without consequences to our environment. And for me, the eightfold path brings us into alignment with things as they really are. It, you know, one of the most um, deepest realizations that we all are opening to is how we're not separate people. And I think climate, you know, climate uh, climate change has absolutely proven that to be true. And it, you know, promotes the eightfold path and mindfulness promotes our understanding of right view, that we are all interconnected and that. Uh, you know, we will, um, we all are going to share the same fate. Uh, I just want to talk briefly about one manifestation of this indigenous intuitive way of knowing. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that the presidents of Bolivia and Ecuador, both, you know, indigenous states have actually changed their constitution to give rights to Pachamama or to give rights to nature. Uh, In Bolivia, the constitution now reads that nature has a right to live and to exist, to continual vital cycles and processes free from human alteration. The constitution states that nature has a right uh, to pure water and clean air and the right to balance and the right not to be polluted. And nature has the right to be uh, to have cellular structure not modified by genetic altering. I think that's one manifestation of indigenous knowledge or intuitive awareness that you know humans are not at the center of uh, the life cycle, but definitely a part of uh, a part of a larger approach. Um, I wanted to end my uh, little brief talk here about um, with a quote from uh, John Mohawk, who is one of our um, spiritual and political leaders. He died in 2006, but what he says here, I think, is, uh, really speaks to us as uh, beings that are uh, deeply interconnected. So John Mohawk says, The culture that I come from saw the universe as the fountain of everything, including consciousness. In our culture, we're scolded for being so arrogant to think that we're smart. An individual is not smart, according to our culture. An individual is merely lucky to be a part of a system that has intelligence that happens to reside in them. In other words, be humble about this always. The real intelligence isn't the property of an individual, the real intelligence is the property of the universe itself. So I think you know drawing on this universal uh, intelligence, we come to understand our deep interconnectedness and we come to understand how you know colonia- colonization continues and climate change as an outcome of that continues to disproportionately affect. People in uh, resource-poor countries, indigenous communities, and turning back to uh, you know incorporating indigenous knowledge and intuitive awareness and in the eightfold path gives us a way out to um, a way out to you know the hopefully not inevitable outcome of you know our unfettered un- uh, use of resources or exploit- exploitation of nature.
0: Mm. Yeah. So how long was that? <laughs> no. Bonnie, you have a few more minutes because I just, I just so love what you're, you're saying about this uh, decolonization or the neuro-decolonization mindfulness. Mindfulness is also, we could say, is another word or for intuitive awareness, right? It te- takes us into that place of deep intuitive awareness.
1: Right, I, I think that intuitive awareness is where we come mm. to... See the reality of uh, reality of uh, impermanence of things changing all the time. You know the reason why no conditioned uh, no conditioned um, anything will give us any ultimate satisfaction because things are always changing. Intuitive awareness is where we see the truth of uh, of dukkha of you know just the unsatisfactoriness of any conditioned experience. And it's where we, uh, you know, open to and have a deep realization of our own interconnectedness. Um, mm. You know, our, uh, our, you know, existence not as separate beings, but rather as all part of an ecosystem that uh, thrives and lives together or dies together.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's intuitive like- awareness as well. I mean, that's, you know, the Buddhists said, go live in the forest as a way to open to truth. And, you know, indigenous communities have been stewards of the forest for millennium.
0: Yeah, I, I feel, uh, thank you so much, Rose. I really feel this movement of humility. We need to be more humble to move out of this linear uh, paradigm that we're in of the Western um knowledge in a way to really uh, take a humble journey into the the first nation peoples indigenous peoples and the deep wisdom that they've held about the earth and reality for millennia Uh, thank you so much bonnie for bringing your words and your wisdom to us Uh, i feel that we are greatly enriched for this and you've opened a pathway for us to more deeply explore thank you so much um Yes, beautiful. So uh, Chaz, uh, I'd like to welcome Chaz from Insight Meditation Society, a very venerable institution supporting the practice of mindfulness, awareness, and meditation for many, many years. Chaz, thank you so much for being with us today, and if I may invite you to, to share your thoughts on this very pressing uh, issue of uh, entering the, our times of climate emergency uh, from the place of the Dharma.
3: Yes, thank you, Tanisha. Glad to be here. And um, thank you, Bonnie. I I must say I was scribbling (laughs) frantically trying to capture all the good points you were making. Um, I'm also seeing uh, in front of me on my little uh, computer screen here all the people from all over the world that are on this call, and that is just great. Um, I think nothing else happens with this call, the fact that we're doing this. Uh, is a huge step in the right direction as far as what we need to do. Um, just before I go into a little bit what I'm going to talk about, uh, I want to say two things about it. One is I'm going to ta- be talking about technology some, and maybe it might be seen in a, in a negative light, but I just want to say that, that I'm not saying that technology is all negative. Um, I mean, we're on this call because of technology. Um, so I just want to make that clear. And then the other thing is <clears throat> I'm going to be speaking about uh, some, about masculine and feminine energies. And what I'm not talking about, it doesn't equate to male and female. just want to be clear about that. They're just uh, energies within the human psyche, very powerful ones actually that Jung, I don't know if he discovered them, but he certainly uh, was one of the first to speak widely about them. And much can be understood uh, when we um, place that lens onto what's happening, so I just want to be clear about those two things. Um, a few years ago, I um, I can't remember if I read it or not, but the information came to me that the institution in the world that has the largest endowment, meaning um, the largest pile of resources that people have given to it, Um, is Harvard University, and when I heard that, I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because um, often um, money, you know, money is energy, and we place our energy to those places that we think are important, so it would make sense that um, an institution that was about intellectual knowledge uh, would receive so much energy. Would receive so much importance from so many people, and that's just a reflection, yeah, of the society we live in, uh, really the world we live in. More and more, uh, as it gets homogenized, um, the intellect and technology is, uh, and the esteem of them. It's not just that they're there. Again, they're Find that they're there. Again, it makes this call happening. But the esteem that they're given, almost the, the bowing down to, um, gets out of hand. It gets um, out of balance. Um, uh, many of you may have uh, seen the movie, uh Scotsi, that beautiful, beautiful movie with no words, just pictures. And as mm. many of you know, that word in Hopi means uh, life out of balance. And, you know, we can see this happening, we, the, the bowing down to the technology, the bowing down to science, you know. The food pyramid pyramid gets reconstructed and says, eat this, and everyone in advertising runs in that direction. And then the food pyramid changed, and they say, they, again, meaning the esteemed scientists, say, eat this, and everyone runs and advertising, runs in that direction. The sense of... of of just giving our power over to what is uh, based in science and technology, and I and I I even see this. It's a little bit funny with the exploding research in mindfulness, um, and how much you know energy that's getting, and you know they're hooking up the brain, and I wonder why don't they hook up the heart? Why don't they put electrodes on the heart and, and and study the heart. So uh, you can almost see that that um, that bias towards the brain or towards the intellect, even showing up in, in our arena, you know, in our Dharma arena in terms of the research. So all this um, has a root, yeah? And, you know, Bonnie, you talked about um, the colonization, uh, absolutely. And, and I would take, I want to take that root even a step farther back and talk a little bit about patriarchy, Um, this kind of dominant energy or um, paradigm, you might say, in our world that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And um, in patriarchy, um, which tends to be masculine energy dominated, um, the intellect is held in high esteem. In the paradigm of patriarchy, the, the intellect is probably most valued. And then, of course, there needs to be a shadow side to that. And so in, in the paradigm of patriarchy, the body or that which is feminine tends to be devalued. And there's, you know, I could spend the rest of the call talking about examples of this, but just one interesting example, especially in terms of spirituality, um, many... Um, in many religions or in many spiritual places in the world, certainly in the past and and still present some, that women were not allowed in the temple during that time of the month when they were bleeding. Body being seen as somehow dirty and devalued. So this is this is powerful, deep, insidious kind of messaging that you know, we all inherit, whether we know it or like it, it just it's just something that we inherit. In, so in this paradigm of patriarchy, because that which is of the intellect and that which is of masculine is dominant and revered, it's going to get a lot of energy and a lot of resources. And again, come up with Harvard University. And then, the, you know, in order to be a, that unbalanced, there has, something's going to be revered, something's going to have to be put down. And again, uh, the feminine energies are going to be put down. and as, And those manifest in the body, often feminine energy associated with women, but again, as I mentioned, it's not exclusive, but also to the natural world. So I want to talk a little bit about the ways that in this patriarchal paradigm, how we have um, devalued and therefore disconnected, yeah, from the body and women and the natural environment. And of course, you know, it's quite easy. You can see the connection uh, between those three. Don't have to say too much about it. Often, when I teach meditation, um, I have to spend quite a lot of time working with students to really get folks connected to their bodies not just the idea of their body but really settled back into and having a, a very uh, intimate connection with the body because because of the patriarchal environment we've really become disconnected from our body and so much time in thought so much time in the intellect and during those times, the somatic experience of the body is completely lost. It's not present. And so we become disconnected from the body. And then we, we come into this weird relationship with the body, this thing that we've gotten disconnected with. And, and on, kind of on one hand, we either... Um, you know, spend too much time over kind of paying attention to it, almost revering it too, too much. And, you know, you can see that and uh, kind of a hyper um, getting in shape and working out and how one looks, that end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum is just the abuse of the body and not taking care of it. And you can see... I want to point out to kind of a correlation with the natural world. And I'm, one of the points I want to make here in this little talk is the connection between how we relate to our own bodies and how we relate to the natural world. And so again, with the natural world, we may, we may have this view of, oh, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, and we want to make parks and national parks. And there's a part of us that knows just how exquisite it is, and yet, as with the body, we also abuse it. We heavily abuse it. So as goes the body, as goes the natural world. And what we are disconnected from becomes much easier to harm. If we are standing next to another human being and we are upset with them, it's much more difficult to be really mean to them than it is when we're in our car and someone cuts us off and there are, there's space and steel and glass between them and the, the level of, of violence that can come out of us given that lack of connection. What we're not connected to becomes much easier to harm. Mm. And, you know... When I, I'm using body and nature as two different words, but sometimes I like to say "small body, big body," you just become disconnected from body, and therefore, based on everything that Bonnie was talking about, based on what we know about greed hatred and delusion, then those three defilements then run rampant based on that disconnection. Mm. One of the reasons I, I, you know, I said, gee, if nothing else happens with this call, um, it would be a good thing because part of, part of addressing climate change is about us connecting, about us coming together. And just by being together in this call where we are on one level, we're in relationship. But yeah, we have to start... All our Dharma practice starts with ourselves, and then, you know, we take it into the the wider world. So starting with ourselves and starting with connecting with our bodies is just so key. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Buddha talks about mindfulness of body, which is the first foundation. And if you look at that sutta and the number of pages that that sutta takes up, the section on the body takes up more space and the Buddha has more words to say about than any of the other three foundations of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So this connecting with the body, being mindful of it, is just totally essential. And it's a coming home that we really need to come, come back to. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that, or as we do that, It's a natural connection. It's not like we have to do anything. The more we are connected to body, the more we are connected to body, to small body, to big body.
0: That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chas, thank you so much, and thank you for bringing and weaving in from Bonnie, from her her wisdom, this uh, issue of the overarching... uh, patriarchy and the impact on so deeply for all of us, whatever uh, gender or outside the gender binary, and um, bringing it back uh, to a place that we can begin with our own bodies. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Um,
0: Yeah, so just taking a breath and receiving and drinking in that uh, those words uh, from Chaz, um, that I I personally feel very... uh, yeah, just very moved to hear and uh, nourished by. So um, I'm also very, very glad that we have Vinny with us on our call today. Vinny is a very dear friend and practitioner who is, sort of goes to the difficult places to practice and share the Dharma uh, like a great bodhisattva. So uh, Vinny, thank you so much for being with us and uh, we really um, welcome and uh, uh, and invite you to to share your thoughts
5: Thank you so much. thanks for the invitation and setting this whole thing up it's uh seems like a really uh, necessary conversation I guess uh, you know so much has been offered already hmm. I guess where i where I, when I started thinking about this conversation uh and this theme of interdependence, I was brought back to the Buddha and what he had talked about around uh, spiritual friends, you know and that they were the foundation of the spiritual path. you know he knew that our connection lies at the very core of the human psyche, right. So what is this journey that Chaz and Bonnie were both speaking about, this journey back to belonging, you know, from this disembodiment to the truth of our interdependence? It's I experience it as a, a slowly waking up out of this trance, you could say, how do we wake up to this to the truth that we're living in an interconnected field you know when we look at the response of the earth to everything that's been happening you could say it's a a lawful response to every to the stress that we've put on this planet but I want to bring it back down to like a a really personal level. How do we rest in this field of interconnectedness when ninety percent of our time is spent indoors? You know, how do we, how can we love something that we're removed from or that we even ignore? This is, uh, this feeling of disembodiment. I'm not connected to me. How can I be connected to you or anything else? So, I, I like what Chaz was saying about how the practice has been readying us for this conversation. We know how to do this. So how do we get back in touch with this belonging? I guess the first place I go, personally, in my practice is like, okay, how is this just some kind of funhouse of mirrors, you know? How can I see this in myself, uh, what Bonnie was talking about around greed, hatred, and delusion? How do I see these energies in me? How do I see myself as hooked on growth and progress? You know, just one more workshop, just one more thing, and then I'll be okay. You know, this need to improve and progress, how do we see that mirrored in the acceleration of culture that everything needs to be better and faster and stronger It can be an overwhelming time for a lot of us, you know, uh, caught in our own survival beliefs that I'm not enough or I need more. This kind of addiction mentality. It's easy to be almost paralyzed into no response. So I see that in myself. I know that I can get so busy setting up a good base camp that I never get around to climbing the mountain because I don't know where to begin. It seems so big. I know we all kind of cherish this principle of non-harming, but how do we turn that into action, you know, from a belief to action, you know? How do we discern the difference between the acceptance that we've been practicing and activism? The words of uh, E.B. White come to mind as he talks about
0: I arise
5: in the morning torn between a desire to save the world and a desire to savor it. So this makes it hard to plan the day. <laughs> I think this is where uh, this is where I'd like to put our attention, you know, is there place on this path for revolution and was the Buddha really a revolutionary you know, what he laid out I think was really revolutionary at that time for sure even 2600 years later it seems like it's a pretty revolutionary path as we say, against the stream so I want to read a little bit from uh, a teacher that has taught many of us about reconnecting. And that's uh, just a paragraph by Joanna Macy. She writes, When we include the natural world in our identity, we're brought into a much much larger story of who we are and what we are, recognizing ourselves as part of the living body of the earth, opens us to a greater source of strength. The expression, at your age, takes on a different meaning when we see ourselves as part of an amazing flow of life that started on this planet more than three and a half billion years ago. We come from an unbroken lineage that has survived through five mass extinctions people fear that if they let despair in, they'll be paralyzed because they're just one person. Paradoxically, by allowing ourselves to feel our pain for the world, we open ourselves up to the web of life and realize that we're not alone. Hmm. So knowing that the voice that we most need to hear comes from within us, I'm going to just invite everybody to just sit back for a few minutes and go inside. I'll kind of guide it a little bit. This is what we've been practicing how to go inside and listen. This willingness to turn toward and to stay present. And we begin by feeling the sincerity of our intention. And sense the flavor of caring... How do we stay in the conversation If it feels overwhelming and difficult And uncomfortable In this cloud of unknowing In this place of no answers We're really sitting in the questions And connecting to this deepest Why is this part of you? Connecting down into the body of the earth, like the Buddha plunging his hand into the earth, we allow our awareness to descend. I mean, we're literally made up of earth, we're sprouted earthlings. John Seed writes, I try to remember that it's not me trying to protect the rainforest. Rather, I am part of the rainforest protecting itself. I am the part of the rainforest recently emerged into human thinking. So we connect to this deep intention to listen So whatever's alive. We share this connection to Mother Earth with all beings. All a part of her. And when we reconnect to this greater intelligence than our own, We realise we have the ability to give voice to our struggles.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: We come home to our deepest nature. Because the enormity of the tasks the task forces us into a, a collective response. Each of us is a community, each one of our bodies is a community of 70 trillion cells that work together. mean, talk about an ecosystem, in a millisecond our body has undergone 10 times more processes than there are stars in the universe. It's us. So we're already working together. (laughs) Whether we know it or not, we can draw strength from this earth, from the planet, and from nature. Buddha Dasig Bhikkhu puts it, what we are doing with this practice is giving back to nature that which we mistakenly appropriated as our own. So we know we didn't make this journey alone. And we're all standing on a lot of shoulders. Just something to acknowledge. I'll end with the words of Rumi, we began as a mineral, we emerged into plant life and into the animal state, and then into being human, and always we have forgotten our former states, except in early spring when we slightly recall being green again. Humankind is being led along an evolving course through this migration of intelligences. And though we seem to be sleeping, there is an inner wakefulness that directs the dream and that will eventually startle us back to the truth of who we are. maybe finally just ending with a deep low bow whatever it is that you come into contact with when you go inside and listen. Inward and outward. I appreciate your time and attention. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Vinny. I think uh, when I go inside right now, I feel like I want to cry. I, I just, the combination, I feel like that through all of these calls after each teacher speaks. It just is such a tender and powerful place that the conversation touches into and your words, Vinny, encouraging us to reconnect and to get in touch with this deeper belonging and listening in both a way that's so profoundly um, vulnerable and welcoming, and yet energizing. And I love that you mentioned the word revolution. You know, both having within that word the evolutionary process and the and the evolution of love. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you to each of our teachers. And um, we're now going to move again into sharing together in our breakout groups. And I just like to say that um, uh, you know, so many people that I've spoken to in between these conversations have said that while they were reluctant to enter the breakout groups, when they actually found themselves in them, they, what they experienced was very supportive and enriching and sort of carried with them. So I'd like you to encourage you to, to, to engage this process if you can. Of course, if you feel like you just used, like to use the time to meditate and stay with the themes that have been discussed, then do so. And the themes that we're going to take into the group, the teachers have just recommended that whatever has emerged for you from hearing their input so far, whatever's present for you, to just reflect on that. So I'm going to hand over to Kristen again to help us with the practicalities and Barry to actually enter into the groups themselves. So Kristen, thanks very much for uh, helping facilitate this next part of our call together.
4: Welcome back everyone, we're all together here in one big Sangha conversation and we'd like to hear from you in this full gathering anything that you'd like to share from the reflections in your breakout groups or on your meditation, feel free to ask questions. We want to hear what's alive for you. So press the number one on your phone keypad if you have something to share or ask. And I'll just say with so many of us on the call. Um, if you would share from the heart and keep it relatively brief so we can get to as many of you as possible. Maximillian? I'm sorry, I'm probably messing up your name. But, yes, go ahead. What is your question or what would you like to offer? I am very happy
6: that that this is happening um, with, uh, because I've been uh, very doing... As I was saying, I have been changing my pattern of doing things for a number of years, um, but I, I was, I'm constantly running into people who say, "Oh, what you're doing, it, it's not going to make a difference," and that has been so painful for me, mm. so painful for me, and I can feel the tears just starting to come. Um, just talking about that because I get so discouraged. So um, I'm joining this group because I am in a song of, uh group with, um, we call ourselves the Kalameta Olives in San Francisco, and two of the people had gone to the climate march in Washington and were on the uh, climate train. So that's how I've come to join this group. So I'm just very happy uh
4: to be part of this right now, so thank you. Mm, thank you, thank you. And I'm wondering if any of any of the teachers want to comment on the sense of discouragement that can happen when when we have inner voices or outer voices that say uh, what we're doing doesn't matter. It can't matter.
3: I think that's such a common thing, yeah, for for a lot of us and what we run into. Um two things on that. One is there's a beautiful Jataka tale about uh, the Buddha in the past life as a parrot putting out the forest fire. Um, And that, that, if someone wants to look that up or people want to look that up, that's a a wonderful resource. Um, But really it's about being in integrity. Um, Just, it actually doesn't matter. uh, The step out of the paradigm of this will work, this won't work, this is effective, this is not effective. And that's how we end up arguing with each other. You know, some people will be called to do this, some people will be called to do that. But if we can really listen deeply, which we've been talking about, three of us really, on one level, if we can listen deeply and know what we're called to do and be in integrity with that, we can rest in that. Mm-hmm.
4: Thank you. That's great, Chaz. Let's go. Um, how about Alex? Alex Anderson in Norway.
7: Hello, yeah. I um, just just had a, a, uh, I suppose, a sense of gratitude to share. Uh, gratitude that this uh, concept this connecting of, of the, the global sangha around the issue of, of climate change, and I guess the the kind of broader underlying issue about our connection to the earth and well to ourselves so yeah I was just very deeply grateful for that I think sometimes it can be easy as some of us shared in our breakout group and as people have spoken about already it can be easy to feel somehow isolated and a sense of frustration at that so I think this is a wonderful way to a wonderful practical way to address that isolation, but I also really appreciate this this um, this idea also of working with with the material that we have to hand—be that frustration or anxiety or anger or attachment to a particular outcome. I, I think that's a really important point as well. So. Yeah, It was that and just this general sense of, of gratitude. No matter where we are, we're able to connect and, and share some ideas and some feelings about this. I think that's a wonderful thing. So thank you very much.
4: Mm, well, I'll just say to you, Alex, thank you for contributing your energy. You're a part of this too and your gift to others in in being present for all of us. So, you know, right back at you. Uh, how about Thanks. Siobhan? Siobhan, Quintero, you're on. We can hear you.
2: Um, so I think this is for Vinny or for Chaz.
4: Um, I know for
2: myself, I'm I'm in the midst of creating a business for myself, and I feel a lot of tension between between building a business and trying to create a living and helpful. Well, like I feel stuck when I say successful, and then feeling the tension with that in in contrast or um, coupled with this bigger undertaking. Um, it feels to me like the place to start is just to feel where I'm at, but I would really, really love to hear some, some thoughts from the teachers.
5: I'm, ha- I'm happy to, to talk with you. I'd just like to understand the question a bit more. Can you say a bit more of exactly what uh, you'd like to explore?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, um the this place of tension between personal advancement, so to speak, like making a living, um trying to be successful beyond just paying bills and also at the same time trying to like I I feel stuck. It's like, well, should I not be doing that because I should just be trying to dedicate all my time and attention to this crisis, and yet that's not realistic. Like, I've got to pay bills. Um, so if you could just speak to like the struggle between personal accomplishment, achievement, need, and this greater reality that we seem to be in. Is that helpful?
5: Yeah, totally. That, uh, that helps me understand the distinctions you're making here. Yeah, I think we, we do have a personal responsibility to, uh, our own sustenance, you know. It's almost like when the Buddha was, uh, kind of close to enlightenment, you know, and Mara visits yet again saying, look, uh, you're going to die, man. This is not going to help anybody. Like, you know, you can actually do some help if you just make this kind of agreement with me. And uh, he kind of comes poised as almost disguised as compassion, right? So it's like, you know, we do have to take care of ourselves in order to do any kind of good work. That was the truth of that message in that moment, you know? So I I do believe in... uh, being able to sustain ourselves so we can actually stay in the, uh, the exploration and uh, continue to do our work in the world in whatever uh, way that manifests, right? So what kind of work are you thinking about doing or what kind of work do you do?
2: Sure. Um, I have what I'm trying to build as a high-end in-home professional pet sitting business um, So it's, yeah, it's that part of, like, personal advancement, Um, and of course, well, I shouldn't say of course, for me, a bigger vision of it is wanting to do well financially so that I can give more time and energy and have more visibility in my community to to really give to the causes that I care about a lot more and to speak to those causes. And yet, I still, I guess, wonder about my own greed and... um, like myself, my my concern, and um, sort of the seduction of how I appear to others, or I don't know. I mean, there's just there's a lot wrapped up in it. I guess.
5: Yeah, yeah, I totally hear that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I kind of talked a little bit about where does this line land in us between acceptance of what is and active activism, right? So I think that kind of line runs through each one of us where it's just like, okay, how do I most advance this conversation, uh, not only within myself, but like uh, how am I part of a, a larger whole? And uh, I, I really do feel like we get our answers when we sit down and listen deeply to our our own voice, you know, and that's kind of what I wanted to contribute to the conversation after Bonnie and Chaz kind of laid out the landscape so well that I felt like, okay, the only thing that's left for me is to try to bring people back to the bodies and see, you know, these are really where our, our answers come from, the voice within. So I think we're all in this balancing act of how much are we building the world and how much are we how much are we tending to this inner life? so I don't know what to say beyond the, this this balancing act is super normal for all of us, and uh, it seems like if you keep connecting to this intention that you have this beautiful intention to even speak up or be on this call or trying to balance this uh, these two energies. Uh, I feel like you're in good hands. Does that make sense,
2: Siobhan?
0: that's perfect. That was great. Yeah. Thank
5: you.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Hey. Well, um, thank you so much for for the participation from everyone. We have to uh, move into um, wrapping up our conversation today. Uh, and again, I'd really like to thank each of the teachers uh, for your contribution. And I know that. All of the teachers that come into our course, they spend a lot of time talking together, going deeply into their own practice and process so that they can present these little vignettes of um, empowered and um, deeply embodied uh, communications that I hope will also lead us on to our own conversations and to our further inquiry and and, and exploration. It's not just about being fed the answers, but also each of us picking up our power to do what we can and to explore these territories. So um, next week we are very excited to have, this will be our final conversation next week. uh, Just to also give you the heads up, there's a time change happening in the USA, maybe in other countries as well. So look up in your region for that. Next week, we have Bhikkhu Bodhi, uh, Ayasantusika Bhikkhuni, Ayasantajita Bhikkhuni, and Dr. David Lowe joining us to talk about bringing all of this into action. And just to also say beyond the ending of this series, Wono Sanger will be hosting more calls. And so it's not going to end here. This is just the beginning of our ongoing engagement together. So uh, again, uh, join us uh, next week and just to bring us into the finishing of our really beautiful and profound conversation this week, I'm going to invite Bonnie to uh, share blessings in a very prayerful way uh, uh, with us all and for us all. Thank you so much, Bonnie.
1: <clears throat> okay, so coming back to our bodies, as Chaz so beautifully, Chaz and Vinny so beautifully outlined, just to be in this moment, I think it's the uh, uh, Mangala Sutta that tells us, regardless of how we felt about this hour and a half we spent together, it's conductive of blessings. And what we want to do is gather all of those blessings all of those positive energies of practicing the Dharma together in this last hour and a half, and offer, offer this merit out to all of our relatives in all directions. May the positive energies of our practice be dedicated to the happiness, well-being and awakening of all our relatives, the two-legged, the four-legged, all of our winged relatives and all the finned ones, and even the creepy crawlers. May they all benefit from our practice. Special mention of all of our animal relatives who suffer so much, as Tenisera said earlier, how they're treated despicably, by by the industry. May their suffering, may we open to their suffering. May we find a way to alleviate their suffering. So dedicating this merit to all of our relatives close to us and far away, all of the people who we might even blame for this, throwing no one out of our hearts, understanding that the root of their greed, hatred and delusion is our greed, hatred and delusion. So dedicating the merit to them as well. May they open to the reality of things as they are. Aho.
0: Aho. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Uh, Just taking a deep breath. We have just uh, before we finish, we just have a couple of minutes. Uh, Barry, I'd like to invite you. Maestro Conference is very generously helped support our conversation. So, uh, Bay, would you just tell us a little bit about MyStore?
5: Uh, sure, Tanisra. Thank you. And thanks, thanks to the speakers and all the participation, beautiful today. So, Maestro Conference provi- provides leading industry teleconference features that allows for conversations like what you're hearing here today. So, if you'd like to receive some information about Maestro Conference, simply press 1 on your telephone keypad i will send you a gentle email about some of the features and benefits of the service, including a free trial period if this is of interest to you. So again, if you're interested, just press 1 on your keypad. Okay, thank you, Tenshara.
0: Thank you, Barry. And again, thank you to everyone, to our teachers, to our team. And may each of us take everything that we've been listening to, everything that we're with, everything that we're practicing with, May we take this into our hearts, into our bodies, into our lives, and into the world around us for the benefit of all beings. Thank you so much. See you next week. Bye-bye now.
3: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.